against his people. Very simply put, it's this. His people's response to all that he has done for them is inappropriate. They've not listened well. They've not understood correctly. And they're not responding appropriately to him. Their hearts are unaffected by his love and his deeds are unremembered. Abraham Heschel said, in everyone's life, there are moments when there is a lifting of the veil at the horizon of the known, opening a sight of the eternal. To some people, they are like shooting stars, passing and unremembered. In others, they kindle a light that is never quenched. As I sat with the Lord before these texts this week, I kept thinking about how easy it is, as Heschel describes, to treat these epiphanies we've been remembering as shooting stars, letting them pass in front of us and fade unremembered into the distant sky. His description of the kindled light never to be quenched I believe it doesn't mean that it can't be quenched, but rather it's not quenched because those who receive it so treasure it in their hearts that they carefully tend it. We tend the flame kindled when we open our hearts to it, slow ourselves down before it, treat the revelation of Christ as sacred, and valuable, and rememberable, and allow its light to change us. We can appreciate the wonder of the moment, but if we don't slow down, pay attention, allow it to arrest our thinking, penetrate our hearts, we hinder or we block the potential to be changed by it, to be convicted under it, but also to receive the message of love it carries for us, and we'll miss it. In Micah 6, the Lord reaches out to his people, in essence saying, you've treated my love for you like a shooting star, passing and unremembered. And he asks them a formational question to help them see what they don't see and to understand what they haven't understood. This is the kindness of God to bring self-awareness when we don't realize what we're doing. He does it for me all the time because I never know what I'm doing. He says, oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. God asked them that question, I think, in a very loving and compassionate tone. But he asks them so as to jam a stick in their mental, emotional, and pseudo-spiritual cogs to stop them in their tracks and get their attention to help them realize that they're living unaffected and inappropriately before him in light of all that he is and what he has done for them. So then he reminds them what they seem to have allowed to pass by unremembered. He says, I set you free from oppression, systemic slavery, and cruel bondage. I gave you faithful and patient leaders who interceded for you time and time again, 
I went before you with Balak, king of Moab, who hired Balaam to curse you so as to destroy you. And because of my intervention and care alone, he not only refused to curse you, instead he released my blessing over you not one time, not twice, not three times, but four times over you to secure you and establish you and protect you. He could have gone on indefinitely about all that he had done, but the point was made. How has that wearied them? They were living before him like they didn't even remember, like it wasn't any big deal what he had done for them. They hadn't cherished those things in their hearts or tended that kindled flame. Their hearts were cold, their trust was misplaced, their appreciation AWOL. I think he wanted their hearts to be touched by his justice on their behalf, his loving kindness to them so that they understood the message he intended, that he loves them. That he's with them, that he's for them, and that he's good in all his ways. The appropriate response would be to receive his love and love him back, and then to love others the same way he's loved us. Thomas Akempis was aware of how easy our human frame is, tempted in this way to forget to not let it touch us, when he wrote, Speak unto me, O Lord my God, the everlasting truth, lest I die and prove unfruitful, if I be only warned outwardly and not inflamed within. Lest it turn to my condemnation, the word heard and not fulfilled, the word known but not loved, believed but not observed. And I wonder today, might the Lord be saying the same to us? Might might he have a contention with us? I wonder if our response, how we live before him with all he has done for us, might be inappropriate. Have we listened well? Have we understood correctly? Could our hearts still be unaffected and the deeds of God largely unremembered by us? Might God be asking us the same formational question today? Oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what ways have I wearied you? Year after year in the church calendar and week after week in Epiphany, We're invited to remember the birth of Christ, to remember the Magi, Gentile believers who had the revelation of the king and went and worshipped him from afar, to remember his baptism, to remember his calling of the disciples to himself to follow him, to remember his miracles. Each one of these remembrances in the life of Christ can be to us a kindled light that is never quenched if we will tend it, if we really listen, if we seek to understand and respond appropriately.
You see, the light of Christ, next slide, please. The light of Christ has not simply come to us. Although that is true, there is an initial revelation, an initial epiphany that opens us to Christ and his reality. But Christ intends to shine in us, in our hearts, through us, to permeate every part of our being, to do his salvific work from the inside out in our hearts. We don't hold his light in our hands, trying to offer it to people like a ball we pass around, uh, barely touching us. No, we welcome it into our hearts to search us and to fill us and to wash us, to scatter the darkness in our inner world. And as we yield to that light, we become less opaque, more translucent, so that we shine his light to the world around us everywhere we go. That's a hard concept to get in image form, but you know, you get the idea. (laughs) We're to glow. I think Adam and Eve glowed until the fall. In 2 Corinthians 4, For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the the goal. In the mid-40s, the Nashville, Tennessean printed this quote, If you wish to live richly, deeply, and spiritually, you must cultivate the world within. It is a thrilling world with the Heavenly Father as our companion. I would say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our companion. I think that's God's invitation in our Micah passage and to us today. He's saying, I want to be your companion within, in the inner world of your heart, so that you walk humbly with me, and in so doing, We'll do justice and love kindness because that's who I am and that's what I do. So how can we do that when our tendency is so inclined to to keep, keep him out, keep him away, let it pass out there? Well, I think our psalm helps us here. According to Psalm 37, there are three things, as I sat with it this week, that I saw, three things that can help us to keep our hearts open so that that we're affected by the things God has done for us and we respond appropriately to him. The first one is that we're to look away from anger of any kind. The opening line in the version I like, do not fret, captures me every time. Do not fret. Three times we're commanded, do not fret. Seems like it might be important not to do. Do not be envious, we're told in this psalm. Refrain from anger, we're told. Forsake wrath. You know, fret, it means to burn or to kindle anger. It's often a beginning point on a path that could lead to destruction. It starts slow, a smoldering ember that ignites into full-blown anger, which Anger is a valid emotion. It's often healthy. It's a normal human emotion. He's not saying not to have anger. There's a time for anger. But anger very easily can lead to sin. We must be very careful what we do with the anger and not allow it to do something with us. 
Anger also is a mask of many other emotions. Sometimes we don't even know what we're feeling. We're just mad, but we're not really mad. There's so much going on below that we don't, we're not self-aware of. And wrath is extreme and vengeful, punishing anger. So in this Psalms, in this Psalm, three times we're told, do not fret because it kindles a flame that we are not to tend. It has energy, but not life-giving energy. It casts a false light, and our hearts are easily misled. So the psalmist wisely warns us not to give anger a foothold, not to let anger in any form lead. We don't turn to anger to solve our problems. It's an indicator. It's an informant that something's not right. Let it be for us a signal, like a a red light, prompting us to stop and turn to God. Which is the second thing I see in this psalm that we must do. We must look away from anger and we must look at God. Be still and silent before him. The psalmist puts it this way. Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. You don't have to do all the acting. In fact, we need to do very little on our own. None on our own. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Now, this is perhaps the simplest, hardest thing we can do. It's not hard on one level. Just show up and shush up. Just stop and by faith turn to God believing he is present to you. He is here. Stop your doing. Stop your thoughts. Stop making excuses. Stop pleading with him for what is already yours. Stop the noise, the distractions. Just stop and come. We can do it. Pay attention to God. Give him undivided attention every day. Turn your gaze to him and wait patiently, quietly, still before him. But it's hard on a deeper level to open our inner world, our heart world of dreams and hurts and thoughts, and to honestly and vulnerably place ourselves before God to shine his light in us. We know it's dark in there. We know he's perfect. There's all kinds of reasons that make it hard for us to just simply come and be before the Lord. But beloved, there's grace. There's grace. There's grace. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? And that's all things good. He's the giver of all good gifts. There are no good gifts apart from God. And there are no bad gifts in God. So I invite you to put yourself before him by faith and let him ask the questions. Let him reveal what's under that anger. Oh, I'm really lonely. And let him meet you in that loneliness. He will kindle the flame of epiphany and tend it 
so it never be quenched if we but show up. And lastly, this psalm encourages us not only to look away from anger, to look up at God, but to look ahead to what's coming, to the promises of God. The wicked and wrongdoers, they'll fade like grass. They're going to wither like the green herb. They'll be cut off. In just a little while, there'll be no more. You may even diligently search for them, and you will not find them. Anything evil will be gone. We, on the other hand, will live in a land and enjoy security. We will receive the desires of our heart. We'll be vindicated. Our vindication will shine like the light And the justice of our cause will shine like the noonday sun. We're going to inherit the land and delight ourselves in abundant prosperity. That is coming, beloved. Remember the victory as we remember the victor, Jesus Christ. The full manifestation of Christ's salvation is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Continually look ahead to the day of his return when he will make all things right and his kingdom of peace will have no end. And let it comfort you and let it strengthen you and let it enable you to journey on in faith. Beloved, we serve an eternal God, unsearchable God. We will never stop learning new things about him. He will never be fully revealed in all his glory and wisdom and creativity and power and mercy and on and on we could go with all his attributes. He is endless. For all eternity, his mercies will be new every morning. And we will dwell in perpetual light, the ever-revealing love of God. Epiphany is to be a way of life in God. We're meant to shine. So I invite you today, don't miss it. Don't miss whatever revelation the Lord is wanting for you to have today. Open your hearts. Get quiet before him. God's love is here. It's all around us. It goes before us. It's our rear guard. We're washed in the love of God every day. It's always coming toward us. So in the grace of God, may we be a people who receive God's epiphany as a kindled flame that is never quenched. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.